happening in lacrosse and the, the greater Driftless region that we haven't really figured out a way to greatly articulate yet at this point. But it's happening. It's a percolating thing. To BizCast Greater Lacrosse, a weekly podcast brought to you by Biz News. We bring you news from the business community. I am your host and founder, Vicki Markison, and joining me today is Ben Skinner and Chris Barton. You both own Paulin's Provision. Yeah, it's my my so my mom's maiden name, my grandpa's name. Uh, ben and I have known each other since we were ten, maybe even younger. We've known mm-hmm. each other forever, so we're basically brothers at this point. Right? Yeah, I've um, been Grandpa Leroy. That's so <laughs> my Grandpa Leroy. Yeah. Paulin owns a market in Grafton, yeah, uh, Wisconsin. Over by Milwaukee. Yeah, real yep. small from about the 50s to the 80s, real small family market. And we just kind of wanted to carry on that tradition. He His business, like, he was one of the last remaining small grocery stores in the area. He would, like, have neighborhood folks who had a tab, right? Mm-hmm. He would be like, oh, you don't have the money today? Get it to me next week. Like, yeah, so he his, was doing credit like way before even credit cards were a thing. Yeah. Like, and that that community vibe that he he fostered is like something that's super important to us. Yeah, like he wasn't focused on like let's open a new location, let's grow, let's get huge. Which is you know there's nothing wrong with that at all. Mm-hmm. But you know his thing was like I'm comfortable, I'm happy, I own my own business, I got my family here working with me. Everyone in the community knows us. We help the community. Yeah, right. Life is good. Yeah. So I mean, like, yeah. Leroy, uh, he was like kind of the inspiration for the name. The two products that we're currently using, I've been doing variations of for 15 years at all kinds of different restaurants. So really with the two, we start, so we make an orange marmalade and a plum mustard. Mm-hmm. The two things we make right now. The, those two landed on like, okay, this is the most delicious thing we can do at scale. Right. And they're super, super delicious. So it's, it's shelf stable food. So there's just... It, it's kind of boring. It gets a bad rap, right? It's like, you know, canned beans, canned corn, like shelf stable. It's like mm-hmm. shelf stable food can be good. It's hard to find right now, but you're starting to see more companies, I think like ours pop up and show that like, yeah, this actually, you can, you can have food like this that actually tastes good and is fun. So talk about where you were in life at that point when you started talking about this. Ben and I have always talked about kind of doing a business together uh, since we were 15 or 16. Yes, probably. We, we always knew something was going to happen. Uh, we had been in Seattle for 10, 11 years at that point. You know, pandemic, health scare, burned out, tired, working like crazy. Uh, and something I was honestly, it was just kind of clicked and I was like, OK, it's time. Let's make a move here. Let's figure something out. I think we need to move back home for a lot of reasons. Our family's here uh, economically, too. We could not start our business in Seattle. Way too prohibitive. Have to be here. I mean, it was one of these things where we were ha- having kind of like congruent thoughts, right? Like you, I think we're thinking like, it's time to leave the city. It's time to get out. I'm burnt out. I was having the same kind of thoughts. And then we just kind of like. We came together, I think it was like, honestly, in the summer, it was in July, and both of us were like, let's just do this. Let's move home. My parents were shocked when I gave them that call. They mm-hmm. never thought I'd come back here. But um, like Chris said, it was all those reasons. I was also burnt out right before um, like the lockdown part of the pandemic in March of mm-hmm. 2020. Chris and I had like basically sold a restaurant concept to the two people that we were working for under Coro Foods. They were mm-hmm. going to open this like... Um, it was kind of like a burger thing. It started as a burger thing. Yeah, and we came very close to doing that. Yeah, and it was going to morph into more of like a chalkboard cafe, like just a rotating mm. where it was fresh kind of a deal. We were looking at, you know, we had contractors coming to look at the space because we actually already had a space that we just weren't using. So we had a lot of irons in the fire. I was getting farmer's markets going. I was getting this new restaurant going. I was running their already 
functioning restaurant location. Chris was running a very, very busy restaurant in the Capitol Hill area. So when everything stopped, it was like, you know, like a lot of people, you had that moment to kind of think and assess and be like, I'm on, I realized when things stopped, I was like, I'm really unhappy doing all this. This isn't fun for me anymore. I wanna, yeah, I think that pandemic really was yeah. a moment for everybody to kind of assess mm-hmm. where they were at in their lives, you Absolutely. know, in one way or another. And I had great bosses out there, like for Coro, um, but I was just like, if I don't do this now, if I don't take the leap of faith now, you know, we're talking like I'm going to cash out all my stocks, my 401k is like everything. If I don't do this now and take the gamble, take the risk, I might just end up here for another 10, 20 years. Um, and I'll probably have a great career. I'll probably have an, a, like, you know, a lucrative career. But I just want we just always wanted to be independent and kind of like be the guys calling the shots and making the decisions. So that's why I'm really pleased that we ended up kind of just taking the leap. So it was scary. I won't, you know, don't get me wrong. It's hard to walk away from like a career that's going well. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we have good trajectories. Chris was a pretty well-known chef out there, had been getting some media attention, had been getting profiled. Is not a restaurant that he worked at had been nominated for James Beard's while you were the chef wow. de cuisine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, chef de cuisine, by the way, is just a title for a chef when the owner of the restaurant is the executive chef. Mm. Um, so he was essentially running that kitchen, but we had a good thing going, but it was just time to come home. Plus the other thing I'll say is we could sense the percolating culinary scene culture, whatever you want to call it. We could sense that happening here in like the driftless region. Yeah. There's something happening in lacrosse and the, the greater driftless region that we haven't really figured out a way to greatly articulate yet at this point, but it's happening. It's a percolating thing, mm-hmm. like a collective capitalism type situation where yeah. there's mm-hmm. more people doing small businesses, particularly in food and mm-hmm. collaborating, collaborating, working yeah. together. Let's touch on that in a second, because I want to rewind us before we get to what the potential is. So you two were friends. You grew up here, we're best right? Buddies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we went, our families went to the same church and that's how we met each other in like Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And then in middle school, we both went to Lincoln Middle and we became like best friends in like sixth grade and have been best friends slash brothers ever since. And what took you both out to Seattle then? Or was there another stop along the there way? There was. There was Minneapolis. Okay. So, yeah, we graduated. We went to Minneapolis. Um, Chris has a degree in sociology. I've won in anthropology. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of ology. Yes, those are nice guys. But the entire time we were in college, we cooked, right? We cooked for work to pay the rent and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I would say that we kind of, at least for me, I kind of started to take it, take that part of my life a little more seriously. Mm-hmm. We graduated in 08, right? So financial collapse, the economy was in shambles. People were still going out to eat. We were still employed. Um, and then I basically, my journey for restaurants in Minneapolis was as a line cook. When I showed up, I was like essentially running kitchens as an executive chef when we left. And as, as was Chris, he was, we were the co-chefs at this place called King's Wine Bar. <laughs> okay. And I don't know. I guess we left for Seattle because again, burnout, right? Like, yeah. We were like 23. At that point, was for sure burnout. Yeah. yeah. But Seattle, I think is where both of us really kind of cut our chops and ground our teeth as it were. And then got serious about it because we yeah. were growing up a little bit too. But I ended up working for a restaurateur named Tom Douglas. And at the time, I think he was about to open his like 14th or 15th restaurant. Wow. I was there for a few months before you. I don't remember when you showed up to this restaurant, but that's a lot of times how it works, right? One of us gets hired somewhere and then brings the other one in. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're a tag that's, team. That's how we yeah. ended up on the same team. But we did diverge, right? In like 2012. 
I wanted to learn the business end of the restaurant, the front of the house, the performance part, mm-hmm. um, the numbers part. So I asked some folks at that company if I could do that. So they were totally willing to help me out. And I got really educated. You, on the other hand, continued being a chef. Yep. Which makes for a good combination. Right. Because the idea was we always thought we'd open a restaurant. And somebody's got to know how to do that front of house stuff. Mm, absolutely. Well me if yeah. you yeah. notice I'm the one who's constantly talking <laughs> and has no problem <laughs> with constantly talking. It's a skill that I, I did hone um, and was coached along the way to kind of, you know, temper it because I came from the back of the house. Right. And it mm-hmm. was kind of like a rough and gruff. Right. <laughs> Stop first. talking to me. I'm trying to work. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so why I always loved cooking. Yeah. Uh, being in the back of the house. Cause I'm not a talking uh. guy. I'm very introverted. We, I think the biggest thing for us was, yeah. So we want to do our own thing. We've worked for uh, very good people. We've worked for very bad people. We've worked for big companies and tiny companies. We yeah. learn a lot from both. But the uh, biggest thing for us was like, okay, so we want to do our own thing. And we want to do it in a way that we can maintain integrity and treat people well. Which at that time was not really a thing in the industry. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this what we got into the... The shelf-stable wholesale game is uh, definitely a departure from what we always thought we would be doing. So where did that concept come from? Yeah, so that was, as we mentioned before, Coro Foods We was a salami company. I had had this idea when they hired me that we should do a shelf-stable program. And like the idea being, if it goes on a charcuterie board, you know, jams and mustards and honeys, whatever it is, like we could sell that as a line. It would contribute to expanding our offerings, our brand, our growth, all that stuff. So we actually pitched it to them, right? And they were like, mm-hmm. yes, use our resources to do this. Yeah, it was summer of 2021. That was when we we had launched the provisions program for them in like April or May. And within two months, I mean, we had seen like $50,000 in sales. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And we were like, hey, <laughs> we can do this. I think like, what keeps us engaged is like being challenged in new stuff, like mm-hmm. not, not repetitive stuff. Which is why when we feel like we kind of have mastered this shelf-stable thing, that's when we can go to our next step. It's not really like the, it is partly financial, but for mm-hmm. us, it's more of a gut feeling and an instinct as to mm-hmm. what's going to inform us when the next move is, yeah. when to expand, when to make that net, net, next significant investment, whatever it is. That it was like, hey, this startup cost is low. You don't even really need a commercial kitchen at a, until a certain point. Well, the other interesting thing is you're you're really in the craft food area of the realm, right? Yeah, like you're not trying to be yeah. Smucker's grape correct. jelly, right? No, correct. No, no. 100% correct. Yeah. So you have a higher profit margin as a result. So you can... In theory, yeah. Yeah. You know, we, as of right now, we are keeping our prices super competitive. We'll see how that uh, continues down the road. But we are 100% uh a specialty food company, I would say. Yeah, like you're, yeah. uh, like you landed on it 100% correctly. Like we don't want to compete with Smuckers, and we never can compete with Smuckers. Mm-hmm. Not impossible, right? They're a massive multinational corporation. That's just not our thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're right. Like we do have a better profit margin. They're a volume business, mm-hmm. and as of right now, we are not. Yeah. So it was just like, we need to make sure we can maintain this because we need to do the deliveries, we need to do the marketing, we need to do the events, we need to do the production. So it was, it yeah, was a very intentional decision to just pick two products at launch. Mm-hmm. The company is just us two. Yeah. Yeah. 2024 or 20, I would say 2025 is a very good possibility, but 2024 seems unlikely for adding any staff. First thing that one of our investors wants us to do is hire a salesperson because she always hears us complain about how we don't necessarily love doing sales, but... Mm-hmm. 
So what's going to be the trigger, right? Is it a certain sales point? What is that when you want to launch another product? What what will That's a trigger? Good question. I think you should start with this one. <sighs> That's a very good question. Ben's trigger is. <laughs> Uh, much more metric based yes. numbers and sales mm-hmm. uh, based. Mm-hmm. My trigger is what we can do from a a, um, a creative and talented standpoint. Like what we I know what we can pump out in our facility and keep it consistent and quality at all times. Yes. And if we try to grow too big, we're not going to be able to do that. Right. And that is a bit of a gut feeling like, okay, we're doing these two products. We're not maxed out right now, but I think if we add a third and a fourth right now, we're not going to be able to ensure the quality. Yeah. Mine's more, mine is metric based, but it is also, you know, I want to be able to offer more when we're doing sales calls. As the guy who's more of like the business driver, I do. I just want mm-hmm. to expand, right? And mm-hmm. there's that that um, that instinct to just to grow. Mm-hmm. But that's why we're so complimentary because I have that instinct, mm-hmm. and I'm going to push us to do that, and I'm not going to stop pushing us to do that. Mm-hmm. But Chris is going to temper that with some typical, quite honestly, reality. It'd be like, listen, we can't. The reason why we can't do this is X, Y, and Z. There's not an argument. No, that it's that, there. but it's inherent tension. Yeah. That's good though. Exactly. Right. So, well, yeah. yes. And so where my brain goes is like time is also a huge limiting factor, there we right? Go. I think that's yeah. the one thing where we are yeah. on the same page. Yes. Right? And yeah. so it becomes how else could you use that time? And then if you can create that process to have quality control and then train someone on that, it just, then your creativity is being tapped in a better way. Maybe you're not doing something some of the food tastings because you now have someone else to do that. So you're just able to keep growing in more creative ways. It's going to fuel you long term, Chris. And then you can then justify the sales that are happening off the other end. So absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'll get into the hard stuff, right? Like physical space capacity and all of those things. And I think part of my push to always do it is to be honest with you some insecurity about being viewed as stagnant at the end of the day i really do look at chris to tell to give me the reality check to be like can we do this or not Mm -hmm. right like i think it's the guy who comes up with the recipes and the guy who knows about the manufacture of them and what it's going to take you know to source everything yeah and it almost becomes a teeter-totter if you will between stagnation and risk, right? So you want to be creative, but there's a risk in trying something new. A lot of this stuff is unspoken and we've just worked together and known each other for so long that it just, in in a way, it's like an invisible force that just propels us It's true, Vicky. Actually, when we started, we never talked about what our specific duties would be. We just knew. Yeah. You know, you got that regulatory document. Yeah. Okay. I got the sales doc, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like we just, we got it. It's also cool because I don't really like doing a lot of the stuff that he does. Yeah. Like, I don't really, Chris does a lot of like really precise scientific, like, um, you know, measurements and that kind of thing. And then you have investors, right? So that adds another complexity to how how much freedom do they give you? What kind of, I'm well, assuming that, they want to return on their investment. So, yeah, yeah that's, but like, that's we, a great question. Ben and I each own 40% of the company. Yeah. We have two investors, each has 10%. Uh, we have, you know, complete control of the company. They will eventually want to see a return. Mm-hmm. We're not even paying ourselves yet. So all that wow. stuff is down the road. But also culturally, we're all on the same page. It's like what we want to do if we do grow and if we are successful, right? Like, you know, part of what we want to do is if we can grow this thing into a much larger thing is provide good high paying jobs, flexibility, and just a culture that is really focused on like the people who work there. Because we think that if you focus on that 
everybody else, customers, everybody is going to be happy in the process. Well, and if you hire the right people, you start to become the company that you came from. Like, how do you have that that innovation, right? Not the innovation where, you, where someone goes and launches their own company. How do you create a culture where all of yeah. a sudden people you hire are adding to your creativity? The only way that I think you do that is autonomy. That's that's really for me. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're going to start bringing in people who to manage things, it's like, yeah, I'm going to oversee it. We're going to help you with the processes that we put in place. But if you want to alter them or change them, do it. I mean, that's what you're here to do. You're not here just to do the thing I tell you to do. You're here to use your brain and yeah. commit and be invested in what we're all doing here. Because at the end of the day, if we're all doing well, you're going to do better. Did I see that you're now looking at pickles as your next? Yep. So that's the next that's product. The next big thing. That's the next big inherent tension between me yeah, and Ben. It's, it's kind of but, funny. We're going back to that. So we finally landed on like what we're going to do because Ben's like, let's just do pickles. Let's make it happen. We'll get pallets stuff in. Get it on the get, <laughs> yeah. get let's on go. The, let's get go. on the yeah. shelves. But we finally landed with a compromise. So we're going to we're recipe testing right now bunch of different variations of pickles we're going to start selling those at farmers markets we're going to be at cameron park and la crescent farmers market mm-hmm. uh we're going to see how that does if we get good reception uh you know good sales then we are going to uh do a shelf stable version that will uh, sell along with our other two products wholesale mm-hmm. stores. yeah but we won't do shelf stable at first it's it's um more of just yeah so we're really like a uh, what do they call that and like a proof of concept yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it takes it's a lot of capacity like it takes mm-hmm. a lot of our time and a lot of capacity to do the new thing but we also really want to and have been talking about um going to some of the local growers around here and mm-hmm. seeing what we can secure for produce to make our next jam which you know in my head will be like a blackberry some sort of raspberry blackberry situation but who knows i mean we're not married to any idea or committed to anything mm-hmm. we just want to go start eating produce when the harvest happens and see how much we can get. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make all of that product um, in like a short amount of time for the year, basically. Yeah. A single product. And this is cheap. I mean, it's usually more at other companies, but just for context, like just to bring on one other product, I'd say we're looking at about $10,000 and months and months and months of time. Yeah. Yeah. At least six months. I mean, yes. Between regulatory stuff, you have to do recipe testing, branding, labeling, ingredients, sourcing to packaging and then purchasing everything. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a big, yeah. And big the marketing investment. materials, I mean, yeah. you name it. Yeah. So it's just, um, with the two of us, uh, I'm not, I would never complain cause it's just so fun, but yeah, we do really have to pick, uh, where we're going to spend our time and our energy. So I think this is perfect because I really don't think this will require the same intensity mm-hmm. that a shelf stable would. Um, it's essentially in my head, and I would. So this is the other thing too. Is like in my head, mm-hmm. Chris is going to go grab some cucumbers. <laughs> He's going to have a little fun, super simple in the kitchen. He's yep. going to make a quick pickle. Bing bang boom, we're good to go. Yeah. Like, and that's the other thing is as I'm, I make these assumptions, and that's when Chris also will be like, "Well, no, right? <laughs> Here's what it's actually going to take. Right. Yeah. Right. Ten again, times longer. Yeah, yes. So that's the other thing, you well, know. and don't forget the conversations either. And I'm sure you've thought about it. Of you still have two products that you're hoping to continue growing while you're launching yep. this one. And so, how do you find the pickle that's very complementary, so you're not having to create new distribution outlets for a separate product? Like, right. how can you put it on the shelf next to what you're already? doing and absolutely right, yeah yeah because so, yeah, there is kind of a connective tissue to our products it, it is basically like 
uh, it's condiments, right, that would go uh, good on a charcuterie board, essentially, mm-hmm. is kind of our connective tissue, mm-hmm. right? But also could be used as, you know, components in, in cooking. Like, plus, whenever yes. we are out there in the field uh, talking to customers and people who are sampling our products, whenever we mention the pickle, the reaction is excitement. It is kind of mm-hmm. insane how much people seem to love pickles. <laughs> yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. and, that's, and that's one part of, our, of it, too, is, like, I'm seeing the excitement, the possibility, the... I wouldn't call it demand, but like the, it seems like there's a lot of interest in us making this products, you know, in, yeah. the, in the sales area. And my brain is just like whirling because there's so many different avenues you can take, right? You oh, can yeah. look at how yes. do we create a bigger glass container and then restaurants are buying from you, right? With that's, the same that's product. That's we are trying now is trying to go non-shelf stable bulk for, um, you know, we're talking with some folks at the Charmont, right? About, right. You know, and uh, a couple of the restaurants around town. I'm actually going to talk to the Rivoli about, hey, why don't you guys drop the pizza, do the pretzels, serve with our mustard, right? So, you know, make those little suggestions. So I have two questions left because I think I could talk to you guys forever. But the... <laughs> um, the first one is, what is that big vision? I mean, it, it sounds Ooh. like your brain is going big. Oh, my God. It's, it's a big one. It is going big. For me, it's not, uh, I don't want to be smuckers. It's not giant multinational, right? It's have a market slash convenience store slash deli, uh, specifically on the north side, which is where our facility is right yeah. now, because I think that area could really use it. Absolutely. Bit of a food desert at this point, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so have a market and also grow our wholesale business uh, nationwide. And get to the point where we're just basically able to be comfortable and pay ourselves a reasonable salary, 50 to 60 K a year, have a good business that we really love, have fun doing, maintain our integrity. And yeah, I would be move forward. I, I would mean, be completely content with that. But the difference with us is that I do I do dream and have a lot of ambition. So like, you know, logistically, we do want to in a few years, hopefully get a storefront of some kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just can't set hours right now because we have to do everything. But we want to have a store that'd be kind of step one in our brains. Uh, step two would be to move the operator. Well, I guess step one would be to move the operation to the basement of our building to have that store or yeah, good point. these yeah. to another business. I we have a, bit, a lot of space in our building that we don't have to use all of it. Part of what I want to do is work with other business owners in La Crosse and lease some of that space. I want a coffee shop, like a little coffee nook in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually need very small amount of space to do what we do. Like Chris said, we grow the re- we grow the line. Um, eventually, you know, have some sort of distribution hub. I'd like to be doing our own distribution and integrate as much as we can. Um, if we do grow to that point, mm-hmm. so we'd have like a central hub where yeah, we that be, would be awesome. And there'd be several business models that we do. One would be like the kind of fresh and ready to eat. We could supply you know grocery with that stuff or events or whatever. Part of it would be catering. Part of it would be our actual storefront, and hopefully there'd be more than one location uh, eventually. And then um, culturally, right, is the big thing. So like if we can get to that. Six, that mid size or large size where we make a really significant impact if we're maybe even a household name in a part of the country. Mm-hmm. We employ anywhere from a hundred to a thousand people. If we're getting to that point, that to me is amazing because then we can be contributors into showing that you can do capitalism without being like so, so greedy. Like we are not, we're capitalists. We are guys who believe that capitalism can work if it's tempered a little bit like this hyper capitalism that we do right now. Um, it's more of like an oligarchical greed based system that doesn't really work for everybody. 
Um, I still think it can work if we just temper it with some stuff. And I'm not saying that we need to go out there and, and put in regulations that business owners need to be compassionate. That's kind of silly. I mean, it just takes us as people to do it. But if we can demonstrate that, if like you can demonstrate that it can be done, maybe you can inspire or influence other people to change or to if they're going to grow, to grow into that model and of, of behavior and of culture, the culture of flexibility, the culture of employees first, people first, all that. Right. Yeah. You have to show them, I think, that it, not only is it the right thing to do, but it's also a, a good business decision. Like Chris said, I would be completely satisfied if we have a company that's just supporting ourselves, making enough money to survive, pay the mortgage, you know, pay the bills. I don't need to be rich. I don't really necessarily want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what I would like to do is just be able to, to provide for the community or for other people and make it so they can have a cool place to work that just isn't soul sucking. Well, and that's a good segue to my last question, because it's funny because I had Emily Boland on here with Hunt and Gather yeah, Racing Boards. Oh, I, yeah, I love, love Emily, Emily, too. And she sent me a picture holding one of your jars. She's like, you need to do a podcast with these guys. I'm like, I know. I met them at a North Lacrosse <laughs> Business Association <laughs> yeah. meeting. But what we had, what I had paused was you talked about something's happening here in lacrosse and that collaboration. And that's a prime example, right? It wasn't about her. It was about how does she help you guys? So talk about that's that when you said something's happening here, what is that? It is. It's the culinary scene that is kind of becoming, um, there's cohesion happening. Well, Um, everyone we've been talking to and meeting, uh, in the industry too, is like, they're super friendly, super nice. They share our values a lot. And everybody's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, let's do a pop-up here. We'll do this event at your space. And then you guys can come do an event at the space we have. And there's just this really cool, organic, collaborative thing happening with like, everybody we've talked to just seems yeah. to be on the same page. And the reason it's like, like Emily, Emily was one of the first um, folks that we met that's kind of doing a, a similar thing that we're doing. You know, a tiny little company. She actually is in the same wheelhouse with the charcuterie thing. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, yep. We're hoping to collaborate and get her hooked up with like tiny pollen stars that she can put in everything. Because she's better at us than doing the thing she does. She, Far better. Her boards are amazing. Far better. Yes. She has right? the most beautiful so boards where we So where we come in is we can give her delicious condiments for those boards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like and then also, like, um, it is cool, too, when you have somebody who I think is in our same mindset, maybe age demographic, like running right the Charmont, like Danielle over there. Mm-hmm. She seems really interested in the kind of collaborative nature. Um, the fella who just opened De La Rosa, Spencer, mm-hmm. we'd love to do some collaboration stuff with him, the Dirty Dozen guys. So we've been able to, like, meet some of these people. And I think all of us are in such young stages of our businesses yes. um, that we all kind of can uh Commiserate, that's the wrong word, but you know, <laughs> collaborate. collaborate. Yes. What's the opposite of commiserate? Yes. Yeah. Where, we, where we're happy about our shared yes. experiences. Yes. I, I, I also do think that there's got to be a generational thing to it because I, I do think that millennials tend to be more collaborative than other generations. I, I think a lot of this was triggered by the pandemic. You guys are prime examples, For right? Sure. Of people going, oh God, why yes. not go yep. out on our own? And people want, they value that unique experience, particularly in food. And so you're seeing just a ton of these companies, cupcakes. and it's yeah, return to artisans. Yeah, you know? And that's what I love. Like uh, Midget Sagra, like all these people that are popping up in town. There's like, what we want to do is we want to bring more cohesion to that. I'd love to foster more of like a, we all know each other. We all hang out. We all do pop-ups and stuff together. Yes. Kind of a vibe. Yes. But again, like you don't force that. That just kind of happens, you know? Right. Right. 
I think so. Yeah, yeah it's hard. You can kind of foster it as much as you can. You can foster it, but you just got to let it happen. And it is happening. Like, it's all of us are meeting each other. We're all beginning to go to the similar events. We mm-hmm. get to spend time with each other. So, like, you know, and that's just going to lead to conversations about we should do this. We should do that. We should team up on this. Mm-hmm. And so I think you are going to see some more of this really cool collaborative capitalism happening with the younger businesses that are opening up food-wise here, but also non-food-wise, like, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that the pandemic made people reassess. And I think you, you are seeing a bit of like a mini explosion of people who are like, OK, I want to I want to take this risk and see what see I mean, what you, happens. Can, you can look yeah. at it in statistics too, like how many businesses are formed every month in Wisconsin is skyrocketed since the pandemic. Yes. Right. So, yeah. And we were pretty stagnant here and like we lagged for in terms of lacrosse county for the states and it's yeah. and it's ticking up and it's about time, right? Yeah. yeah. Well it's all it's I think it is generational because we are the millennials are kind of getting to the age that you know, people are going to trust you with investment I mean, money. It makes whatever, sense, right? So. Like we're the biggest generation behind the boomers and the boomers are starting to retire. So yep. we're starting to finally come into the age where we can start our own businesses because we either have time, money or experience. Yep. Right. You know, or a combination of the three. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or one of Usually the three and someone else has the other two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we're just we just wanted to be a part of it, which is why we're back here. Ben Skinner and Chris Barton, thanks for joining me. You've been listening to BizCast Greater Lacrosse. We'll catch you next week.